Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Now let's just read the first four verses. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another is weak, eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Let's pray. Christ, Father, we thank you for this afternoon. We do pray that uh, as we take your word now that you help us as we study it, help us to understand it, help us to uh, be able to see the truths that you want for us that we might learn from you and that we might be blessed through your word. Give me wisdom, I pray, that, Lord, I might uh, have clarity of thought to just be able to speak your word clearly this afternoon. I pray, Father God, that your word will be a blessing to our hearts as we study together. We'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In our study of Romans, we said that Romans chapter 14 brings us to the second major section of the epistle. The first 11 chapters deal with doctrinal matters. Then at the start of Revelation chapter 12, uh, sorry, Revelation, Romans chapter 12, the apostle turns to consider the application of the doctrine in practice. And Paul then, in chapter 14, which is where we are now, pleads for tolerance in doubtful things. Now, every one of us, I'm sure, have seen the danger of divisions arising amongst believers over doubtful things, matters like these. And especially the danger of exalting them to such a position that they even divide people who should be serving together, worshipping together, and indeed uh, getting along with each other. And we began last time to consider how the Apostle deals with people who tend to fall into this danger. We saw that he calls on us to respect each other because God has received us. That's what he says in verses 1 through 3. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that he is not, and let not him which eateth not, judge him that eateth, for God receiveth him. God received him. We saw last time that in every church there are weak and strong believers, and that the weak must not condemn the strong and call them unspiritual because they are strong. And the strong must not despise the weak and call them immature because they can't do the things that the strong can do. And the reason why we're not to criticize each other is because God has received both the weak and the strong. And therefore we must receive one another. That's what he says in verse 1, him that is weak in the faith receive ye. And the end of verse 3 says, for God hath received him. Now today, we, secondly, we come to the second major point here in Romans chapter 14 and verse 4 reminds us to respect each other because God sustains his own. He says in verse 4, Who art thou that judgeth another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, 
he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. Now in this first, verse, the first part of this verse, verse 4, the apostle uses an illustration of the relationship between the servant and the master to help us understand his point here, what he's trying to get at. Martin jo- Lloyd-Jones explained it this way. He says, imagine Paul says that you are paying a visit to a friend. And the friend who was entertaining you has servants in the New Testament times. Many of the servants were slaves, and the meal would have been prepared by some of these slaves, while others would be attending at the table and so on. So Paul, in effect, says, what would you think of a visitor who took it upon himself or herself to criticize and to judge and to correct the servants of the host? You know that that sort of thing is not done. It would be very rude of you to correct another man's servant. That's Paul's point here. He says, who out there that judges another man's servant? The principle is also true when it comes to the case of parents and children. There are some people who do not hesitate to criticize other people's children. But the principle is, that who are we to judge? There are some people who are ready to criticize anybody and every, anything. And we know the temptation is great at times, isn't it, for us to be critical of other people. Because they're doing things that we wouldn't do, or they're not doing things that we would do. But that's not the point of what Paul's trying to get at here. The question is whether under any circumstance this is right and allowable. Is it right for you and I to criticize one another in these doubtful things? Is it right for you and I to criticize each other in doubtful things just because somebody can do something that we would never do and they can't, and that we do things that they can't do? Is it right for us to criticize each other? Well, Martin Lone Jones again says the apostle here lays down what has always been the universal opinion with regard to this question, that it contravenes all the canons that govern social behavior. In other words, we have no right to criticize. We have no right to judge each other in these doubtful things. That's not our place. And so he asks the question here, who are there that judges another man's servants? What he is saying here is this, as one commentator put it, if you are criticizing fellow Christians, then you are doubting whether they are Christians at all. And even if you do not go that far because you are allowed in your condemnation of the way in which they are behaving, you don't realize that this is sheer presumption and you have no right at all to behave this way. If we're questioning somebody, another believer's behavior in these doubtful things, we are questioning at the very least their sanctification, if not even their salvation. But we are, no, we are in no position to do that. That's not our right. That's not our prerogative as believers. Paul condemned the strong Christian for judging the weak Christian, and he explained that it's wrong for the weak Christian to take the place of God in the life of the strong. So with this question asked here in verse 4, Paul reminds us that it isn't our place to pass judgment on fellow Christians especially in doubtful things. This then leads to two, uh, to the appeal to the application in this verse. How do we apply this truth in reality? How does it act out in our lives? Well, he gives us a twofold application. First of all, he says to us in verse 4, to his own master he standeth or falleth. To his own master he standeth and falleth. The answer to the question, who art thou that judges another man's servant? 
to his own master, he standeth or falleth. It is the master who has the right and the prerogative of deciding what conduct is acceptable and what conduct is not acceptable. It's the right of the master to determine what servants should do. It's the right of the master to determine how servants should behave. It's the master's responsibility to govern the behavior of his servants. What the Apostle Paul is saying to you and I is this, that when you are in another man's house and you're not in charge, he is the one who decides what happens in that house. It doesn't matter what you think about what they're doing. It doesn't matter what you think about what they're, how they're acting. You may mention your complaint to him, but if you, if you like, and discuss it with him, but you must certainly not correct his servants, his employees, or his children in his presence. It's not our place. In these doubtful things, it's not our place to judge. It's not our place to criticize. It's not our place to give our opinions in a critical way. And by using this illustration, Paul is lifting the argument to a higher level. Because what he's saying is this. He's saying that not only has God received us, but because you and I are saved, we belong to him. We're his children. And we are his servants. He's our master. And what he's saying in these matters, in these areas of life, then you and I are answerable to our master. We're answerable to our God. To use a favorite expression of the Apostle Paul, we are the bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our owner. He's our master. We are bought with the price. We're not our own. We're his. You and I are the servants of God. We're the slaves of Jesus Christ. He's our owner. He is our master. And it's before him that we stand or fall. God has the right to tell us what to do. Or rather, it is God who has the right to tell us what to do. And it's God who has the right to judge us. It's God and God alone who has the right to chastise us in these areas. You see, they're getting all bent out of shape about those who are eating meat given unto idols. Getting all bent out of shape because some were able to eat meat and others were too weak to eat meat. They were eating herbs and they're getting all bent out of shape. And Paul's saying to them, listen, on those matters, remember who's the master. Remember who's the servant. And remember to who they're answerable. The commentator said this, if we set ourselves up in judgment upon our fellow members of the Christian church, we are usurping the authority of God. We are serving in particularly the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we are reminded so constantly, particularly in the writings of this particular apostle, he is the head over all things to the church. He is in control. He alone has the authority. He is the Lord. And judgment belongs to him and to him alone. The apostle spelling out for us here is that you and I are as the servants of God are not responsible for somebody else's behavior. We're accountable to God for what we do, how we live, how we behave. Now remember this, that this does not do away with the whole question of discipline in the church and obedience to God's commands. Okay? 
Remember, what he's talking about here is the doubtful things. He's not talking about those things that are clearly spelled out in the Word of God as right and wrong. The Lord has indicated what we ought to do and how we are to live. And it's our duty to carry out those instructions. The black and whites of God's Word are clearly set out. And as believers, you and I cannot debate that. You and I can't argue the point when the Word of God makes a clear statement about the responsibility of you and I as believers. When he says, husbands, love your wives, that's not open for debate. That's a command that God gives to us as husbands. When he says, children, obey your parents, that's not open for debate. That's a command that's given to children. When he gives commands to masters, commands to servants, and commands to wives, they're all his commands and they're not only for debate, they're to be obeyed. But remember, Paul is here dealing with the things that our Lord has not laid down in his word, with doubtful things. He's not dealing with doctrine here. He's not dealing with commandments here. He's dealing with doubtful things. See, when you and I have a commandment of the Lord, there is no discussion. It's black and white. It's either you do this or you don't do this. Whatever God's command is, it's black and white. There is no shades of grey with God's commands. You and I can't fudge them to the edges and say, well, you know, that's not quite what God meant. If God said it, that settles it. That's not what he's dealing with here. He's dealing here with regards to the doubtful things. Now, you and I may have views, but we're not to condemn one another based on the views in those doubtful things. That's not our prerogative. If there is no commandment from the Lord, then we must be very careful of expressing our thoughts, our judgments. Because if God didn't command it, then God didn't think it was important enough to make a command about it. And therefore it comes down to personal judgment, to personal prerogative, personal what we think we should be doing for the Lord in these doubtful areas. Just always remember that we're not called upon to be spiritual detectives. And still there, spiritual judges. We're not to judge one another. You know what the Lord told us about because we're in a very real danger, a danger of doing just that, judging one another if we're not careful. And the Lord himself dealt with it on the Sermon on the Mount. Go to Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7. Well, the Lord himself makes it abundantly clear what our responsibility is. In verse 1 he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how will they say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. We're not to judge lest we be judged. Somebody said there's, there's a lot of useless, harmful division among Christians over silly bigoted things. Paul isn't telling these Christians to erase their differences. He tells them to rise above them as Christian brothers and sisters. 
he acknowledges, both here in Romans and again in 1 Corinthians, he acknowledges that there are differences between believers. I mean, as far as the Jewish believers are concerned, the, the thought of eating meat that was offered to idols would be absolute horrid. They grew up believing that meat offered to idols was wrong. And the only way you were to eat meat was if it was kosher meat. They, they had a, a strict dietary law. They understood that. Clearly, they'd be taught, been brought up upon it. And yet, if you were a Gentile, if you'd been brought up under the Roman culture as a Gentile, you had a different perspective. You'd always eaten meat given to idols. You'd always eaten the, the other the meat uh, sacrificed, uh, sorry, killed a different way. You were always involved in these things. And so your lifestyle was different. And when they got saved, they came to that salvation with their backgrounds still intact. And so the Apostle and the Lord understands there is division amongst believers with uh, background and other things, the way we grew up. And the same true is true today. You know, there's things that, that some of you would never do because of your background, the way you grew up, and, and it reminds you of an old way of life and you never do it. That other people who grew up in a Christian home do those things in total oblivion of the thought that it might even be something that other people struggle with. Things I struggle with, some of you don't struggle with. Things you struggle with, I don't struggle with. And we've got to be careful we don't judge each other based upon our personal struggles. That's what Paul's talking about here. He knows there is differences. That he knows there's different backgrounds. We know there's different struggles. But at the end of the day, we ought to judge each other because one can do something and the other can't do it in these doubtful things. That's Paul's point here. He tells us that God is the master. The Christian is the servant. And he only has to give account to God. That's what he says here. Let him, oh sorry, who art thou that judges another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. And it's wrong for anyone to interfere with this relationship. We are each individual responsible to the master to do his will. And so if one eats, he's not obligated to give an account to the abstainer. The weak and the strong are not to give account to each other. Just because this strong one eats meat, he's not accountable to the weak one, the abstainer, for his behavior. Now, later on, he does talk about the fact that we've got to be careful how we behave, that we don't offend the weaker brother. But he's making a point here that we're not to sit in judgment of each other because one can do one thing and the other can't do that thing. Because we must give account to God, not another believer. And therefore, in those things that are not clearly commanded or clearly condemned in God's word, we're not to demand it of others. Because I struggle with something, I'm not to expect other people to likewise abstain from that thing. That's my struggle. That's my conflict. That's the thing I've got to deal with. That's the thing that I struggle with. That's the thing that I've got to watch. But I can't sit in judgment of somebody else who doesn't struggle with it. You know, 
some people struggle with alcohol. That's what they, they were, they were drinkers before they got saved. And now that they are saved, they struggle with the, the whole concept. For those of us who grew up in Christian homes and never drank alcohol in our lives, find even the smell of it is abhorrent. It's not a struggle that I have. And so it goes on in various areas of life. Certain believers struggle because of certain things that they went through before they got saved, and others don't struggle with them. And we've got to be careful not to expect the same of each other. It's encouraging to know that our success in the Christian life doesn't depend upon the opinions and attitudes of other Christians. What matters is my relationship with the Lord. What does he think? In my life, as I'm living, am I living to the glory of God? What does he think? What's God's opinion of this? What does God think of my behavior? That's what matters. In those plain black and white areas, there's no room for difference. But in the doubtful areas, we're answerable to God, our master. And that leads to the second application in verse 4. He says, yea... He shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Yea, he shall be holden up. The phrase, yea, he shall be holden up, means shall be made to stand. And then he repeats it, he should, he, for God is able to make him stand. So he is able to stand. In fact, God will enable him to stand, is what he says. One commentator put it this way. That is that the true servant of the Lord shall not fall at least not totally and finally, nor in the last judgment, for he is holden by the right hand of God. He is kept by the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The idea here, this second half of the, second half of the application, is you think that he, if he eats, he will fall and become unscriptural, unspiritual. Or worse still, he'll be unsaved. The apostle says, well, that can't happen. Because God holds him up. In other words, the behavior of individual believers does not affect our eternal de destiny. It doesn't affect our eternal relationship with the Lord. The weaker brother might look at the stronger brother and think that the way they're living is unsanctified and at worst they're maybe not even saved because of the way they're living, but they're only answerable to God for those things. And at the end of the day, God is the one who holds them up. It's God who is able to make them stand. The power to stand is not abstaining from meat. Just because I don't eat meat doesn't make me more able to stand for the Lord than the one who does not eat, or, uh, or the one who does eat meat. Because God is the one who makes us stand. He's the one who gives us the power. He's the one who enables us. See, they stand or fall before their master, who is God, and God is able to make those meat eaters to stand. Externals don't make us spiritual. It's a heart that is right with God that makes us spiritual, isn't it? The thing that makes the difference to my spirituality, my sanctification, is not what I, not my externals, it's what's in my heart. And what's in my heart affects my externals, that's true. But it's got to come from the heart. It's got to be what 
I know is what God wants from me. Isn't that what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God as your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove us a good and acceptable perfect will of God. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might know what the will of God is for us. What makes us spiritual is our heart relationship to God. What makes a person saved is not by the way they live, but whether they or not have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Whether a person is sanctified is not by the way, whether he eats meat or doesn't eat meat, it's by what's in his heart. It's God who holds us up. It's God who makes us to stand. Because God is the judge. We're not to point the finger at each other. In fact, it's God who will keep us to the end. Because he's the one who loved us with an everlasting love. We're chosen in Christ Jesus. We can't lose our salvation. And for that we ought to be thankful. Nothing that we do can cause us to lose our salvation. Because ultimately, we, our sins were judged in Jesus Christ. And when you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we were saved by grace through faith. And it was not of ourselves. It was not of works. It's all of God. And our salvation is bound up in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, not in what we do, and certainly not in these doubtful things. And what we need to remember here is the weaker brother is governed by a spirit of fear. That's why he sets up multiple rules and regulations. The weaker brother in the context of Romans chapter 14 is so anxious about his security and salvation that he hedges himself in to, present himself, to prevent himself from falling. So much so that he gets to the point in his life where he becomes a legalist, falling back on justification by works and denying justification by faith alone. He's so afraid of slipping up, so afraid of falling, so afraid of falling out of salvation, he puts up walls and barriers and rules and regulations and he lives by works. Because that's the only way he can secure satisfyingly in his heart that he knows he's going to be able to stand. And the Apostle Paul says that's the wrong concept. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to stand. God is the one who holds you up. God is the one who will help you stand. God is the one who saved you. You cannot fall from that position. It's because the weaker brother is nervous that he says to eat these meats offered to idols or to eat meats forbidden by the law of Moses is terribly dangerous. A man who does that is bound to fall. He'll make himself a shipwreck of the faith. He's afraid of falling. Therefore, he puts all these obstacles in the way. And the apostle says, listen, you can't judge each other based upon these doubtful things. 
Because at the end of the day, salvation is not bound up in these things. It's bound up in the faith in Jesus Christ. He alone is able to make you stand. Commentator put it this way, Paul's answer that by saying this, the Lord who has called us to liberty will maintain us in that liberty. Do not be worried, you're weaker people about the man who is strong in his understanding of the faith and who is practicing this Christian liberty. You need not have fear about him. Do not vex your souls over them. Do not lose sleep at night for him, for God will help him stand. What he's saying is, listen, wicked brother, you look at the brother over there and he's eating meat that's offered under oils. Don't lose sleep at night over whether or not he's going to make it to heaven or whether or not God loves him because that's God's responsibility and he does love him and God will enable him to stand and if he's saved, he can't lose that salvation. He's basically trying to say to the wicked brother, stop worrying about these things. Stop losing sleep over them. Stop stressing about a brother who does this and a brother who does that and a sister who does this and a sister who does that and you would never do that. You'd never do that. And how, do they, how can they do that? And how can they do that? Surely they can't be living for the Lord. Surely they can't be of God. And worrying yourself all the time about that thing, he supposes to the wicked brother, don't do that. You're answerable to God for your behavior they're answerable to God for their behavior in these doubtful areas. Don't stress over it. Don't let it come between brothers and sisters in Christ over the doubtful things. You know, one thing is certain. Christ has redeemed us by his blood. He's our advocate with the Father. And we cannot lose our salvation. And there's one other thought. Here it uses the word servant in verse 4. It says, who art thou that judges another man's servant? The word servant there suggests to us that Christians ought to be busy working for the Lord. We are to be serving him. We are his servants. We are to be looking to him for the leadership. We are to be looking to him for direction. We are to look to him as his servants. What does the Lord want from us? And when you and I are busy serving the Lord, you and I won't have any time or for that matter the inclination to judge or condemn other believers over doubtful things because we're too busy to worry about somebody else. We're more concerned about our service for the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11, it puts it this way. Study to be quiet and do your own business. Study to be quiet and do your own business. As you and I maintain church, if you and I are going to maintain church unity, we need to learn to get busy doing God's business and mind our own business. We're all answerable to God for what we do in these doubtful things. And therefore, when it comes to the things that don't matter, let you and I mind our own business. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this afternoon. Thank you for this simple truth with regard to weak and strong believers. Lord, at the end of the day, we're answerable to you and you alone. And the Lord, as individuals, we need to look to you as our master. We need to look to you as your servants. And we need to get busy doing what you want us to do. 
so that, Father, we're not fretting and worrying over what other people are doing in these things that don't matter. Lord, we know there are things that do matter. There are doctrinal truths that are clearly taught in your word. There's commandments and there's condemnations that are not, black, are not uh, uh, shades of grey. They are black and white. Lord, in these areas which you have not specifically told us about, Lord, help us to be wise in our judgment and look to you, Father God, for leadership day by day. Bless now as we close with a hymn we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.